0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, welcome to the program. This is Swapbox. Let's get into the headlines. The S&P 500 hits another record as the Federal Reserve cuts rates for the third time this year. But the central bank signals a pause. With Chair Jerome Powell saying monetary policy is in a good place. The current stance of policy is likely to remain appropriate, likely to remain appropriate, as long as incoming information about the economy is broadly consistent with our outlook. China's manufacturing sector contracts for the sixth month in a row, while the cancellation of a key summit damages the prospects of a U.S. trade deal this November.
1: Apple beats on the top and bottom line as a surge in revenues from wearables helps offset slowing iPhone sales and the tech giant forecasts a strong holiday season. Facebook tops third-quarter expectations, but the social media giant's earnings are overshadowed by its competitor Twitter's decision to ban political advertising.
2: And giving the green light, the board of Peugeot owner PSA approved the merger with Italian-American rival Fiat Chrysler paving the way to creating one of the world's biggest car makers.
0: So let's kick off with the Federal Reserve. Uh, we got a 25 basis point Cut. That is the third consecutive time this year. However, the central bank signaled a pause in the easing cycle by removing the words, quote, act as appropriate from the policy statement. Fed chair Powell said monetary policy is, quote, in a good place, but added the central bank is ready to respond if the economic outlook changes. We've moved the stance of policy over the course of year the year to a more accommodative stance. And after cuts at the last three meetings, the federal funds rate is now in a range between one and a half and one and three quarters percent. We're going to be watching all factors. uh, And if developments emerge that cause a material reassessment of our outlook, we would
2: respond accordingly.
0: Well, Esther George and Eric Rosengren dissented from the decision once again, as both officials preferred to keep rates steady. At this point, uh, we did get market reaction to that rate move. Let's get to Karen, who's looking at the numbers.
1: Records on markets—that's uh, what we watched again for the S and P 500 in reaction to the Fed. Uh, the accommodative stance from Jay Powell this mid-cycle adjustment has been very positive for risk on on markets, and you can see that on these levels: 3,046 for the S and P 500, within a striking distance of record highs too for the Dow and Nasdaq. And of course, a lot of this has been front-loaded positioning as. Investors have weighed up the prospect of a rate cut. Many market participants had baked in one for this month. And if you look at the performance for the Dow over the course of this month, on track for its fourth positive month in five, trading up about 1% over the course of October so far. So it has been a decent one for markets. In terms of U.S. Treasuries, uh, let's just take a quick look at what we also saw across on bond markets. The yield 1.62% on the two-year. The language is really important too for some of the psychology and future as investors are just weighing up the adjustment to language as uh, Jay Powell was talking up some of the positives for the U.S. economy and almost suggesting that we may be done with this uh, mid-cycle adjustment. Uh, of course, the uh, jury is still out around many, any of those big events, trade, Brexit, but at least at this point power seemed a little bit more optimistic about what will play out. The rest of the curve you can see the US 10-year Treasury yield 1.78% is where we're trading. Asian markets, of course, closely watching the fortunes of what plays out in the United States on the bond markets, on equity markets, but also with the dollar and some of the weakening in the dollar has been positive for some of these markets. China, their market there, a little bit weaker, along with Australia, but Hong Kong, a very strong trade, just over 1%, 279 points in the uh, green today and also the Japanese market. Close eyes on Japanese policy, the BOJ meeting today and also uh, still flagging up the potential for more rate cuts. 22,927 on the Nikkei. Meantime, the opening calls in Europe as we look for uh, European markets to set, uh, to start out the trading session. 57 to the upside for Italy. Uh, some green areas on the board for so Italy, France and Germany, but uh, just slightly soft on the flatline for the UK market. Don't forget, uh, still a number of uh, various scenarios around Brexit and general election. Yeah,
0: let's dive into the uh, headline story then around the interest rate decision we got from the Federal Reserve. Karen, Chris Jeffries, with us, head of rates and inflation at Legal and General Investment Management. Chris, good morning to you. Um, While I was looking at uh, the arguments behind the Fed being able to pause at this point, one other headline struck me this morning. U.S. farm bankruptcies surged 24% in September, that is the highest since 2011 and perhaps indicative of the strains around the trade war, but also the fact that we do have different parts of the US economy operating at different speeds at this point. Do you agree with Chairman Powell that we are done here and the mid-cycle pause is uh, now in place?
3: So I absolutely agree that they have the intention of having a mid-cycle pause at this point, but we've got to remember that it's only a plan. Um, Fans of boxing remember that Mike Tyson said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. We've only got to go back 12 months and the Fed was talking about raising rates to between 3 and 3.25% by the end of this year. So plans evolve as the economy evolve. You've identified the weakness in the farm sector as a product of of the the tariff wars. We cannot have and cannot sort of pretend to have a crystal ball about where um, those trade disputes settle. So there are still significant risks around the Fed outlook and I guess we'd argue that the risks to the downside remain remain pretty significant. So yes, they intend to pause. Can we guarantee that it's going to be a prolonged pause? Absolutely not.
0: The um Other areas of the economy that look to be relatively concerning at the moment, manufacturing, construction, we've seen obviously uh, some real concerns around capex as well, business confidence for investing in their business for the long term. Again, are these chickens that are going to come home to roost in 2020 as we just see evidence that um, earnings continue to deteriorate as companies seek not to invest in their own businesses?
3: Yeah, so I, I sort of take half of that and agree with it and disagree with the other half. So in the manufacturing sector, I think those, um, those concerns are prevalent, they're getting worse, um, and, it's, and it's hard to know where the bottom is. So the, the bottom may be, come in if the trade deal solidifies. The place where we actually have seen a decent response to the rate cuts thus far is in um, the construction industry and in residential investment in particular. So we kind of think of what are the two typically big sic- cyclical elements of the US economy, in terms of manufacturing and construction, one of them's actually been holding up pretty well and is showing kind of signs of healing. So um, from that perspective, you don't have the two catalysts that might be typically associated with um, a big cyclical downswing. One of them is actually, is actually firing, firing pretty pretty comprehensively at the moment.
2: Now, in terms of market reaction, as Karen just showed us on the boards there, we saw all three major indices end in positive territory yeah. yesterday. Do you think the Fed has created a path for risk to rally into year end? Well, they're keeping
3: their options open, right? So I know that the, all of the rhetoric around the market is, this is, a, this, is a, this is a pause, the Fed is done here, the insurance cuts are over. But mm-hmm. that's, that's not the kind of way they're pitching this. The way they're pitching this is we will continue to act if necessary. Now, they're probably not putting it front and centre in the same way that they did before. Um, and they've revealed over the course of the last six months kind of an acute sensitivity to some of the concerns um, that markets have. we only got to think back to the GDP data Um, uh, earlier this week. It's it's not as if the US economy is falling apart. And yet, despite that, we've seen 75 basis points of rate cuts relative to the path imagined uh, by the Fed a year ago. We've seen about 150 basis points of rate cuts relative to that previously decided path. So so they are there. They do kind of have the the economies back if needed. And I think it's that willingness to act, um, although it's Although it's not emphasized as much in the statement, the markets still have confidence in that.
1: We were talking to Keith Skiok yesterday from Standard Life Aberdeen. His message was that you've got expectations so strong that there would be a rate cut delivered. There's really no option for the Fed. And based on type of commentary. You've got to say you've seen a, a, a Fed chief now repositioning around some of the strengthening factors in the economy, some of the reasons to be optimistic. And it sounds like the Fed's trying to position the market because there is no room for that tantrum on markets again if the Fed doesn't deliver more rate cuts. So in some ways, you could argue maybe we did not need a rate cut yesterday, but it had to happen because the Fed was promising it's going to happen. So in future, if the Fed is saying there's not going to be more rate cuts... But no matter what happens, maybe we're not going to get any rate cuts unless it's completely dire outcome on trade, and that is not the scenario that is pencilled in at this point.
3: Yeah, there's been a decent repricing at the short end over the course of the last few months. So um, the rate cut yesterday was pretty much locked into market pricing, but the outlook over the next twelve months has been subject to a bit of flux. So that's moved up something like thirty-five basis points um, from the from the low. Uh, so. We're now in a position where, going forwards, the market is looking for something like one more rate cut. Having been in a position where it was looking for two or three, the 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 the, um, the hurdle to them delivering one additional rate cut is not especially high. They would still frame that as being part of the insurance policy rather than being a response to a big kind of cyclical event. So I think so I think the market has moved to a much more balanced position now than it was about uh, six to eight weeks ago.
1: Typically, we used to look at the inflation rate. And we'll be trying to judge whether there was a a motivation for the Fed to be active on policy. And this time around, we're looking at growth and ammunition that the Fed might have for a future crisis. A whole bunch of different scenarios coming to the mix. If you consider what played out in China today, we saw some deflationary forces at play in that economy with uh, some of the survey data on manufacturing also on services. And there's a feeling that even there's, if there's a phase one trade, do- trade deal, that deflationary forces continue to exist for the global economy. Do you buy into that? Do you think there's still going to be pressure for months to come that could have an impact on inflation globally?
3: Yes, yeah, so I think um, so we're, used to, we're used to a world in which um, the US sneezes and the world catches a cold. Um, but increasingly in this cycle, China has been the dominant driver of the marginal contributions to global growth. So if you, t- irrespective of how you measure global growth, if you look at where the marginal growth has come from in the last five years, China is the single biggest contributor. So the slowdown in China, we've got to try and conceptually sort of split. How much of this is about the trade wars and how much of this is about a genuine slowing in domestic demand due to problems in uh, the shadow banking sector, due to the attempts by the Chinese authorities to dele- delever. To me, it's not obvious that this is all about the trade wars. You look at kind of indicators in China that in principle shouldn't be that sensitive to um, external exposure. They're still pretty weak. So I think absolutely we kind of need to worry about that slowing in the Chinese domestic economy. Kind of look for signs that it's bottoming, which unfortunately we don't see very many of thus far, um, before we can kind of signal the all clear on on the global uh, global deflation and global growth risks.
0: Briefly, you've got a trade for us on the back of the uh, rate cut.
3: Uh, so the initial market reaction has been kind of curve flattening. Um, I think the, the attractive place to look on the U.S. curve is still right at the long end. So if you look at 10-year rates, 10 years forward, you're looking at numbers kind of close to 25 to 2.7%, somewhere in that region. That's exceptionally high on a global basis. Um, so as a place to kind of look to take risk, that long end of the U.S. curve.
0: Nice to see you this morning. Thanks very much for coming in helping us out. Chris Jeffrey, Head of Rates and Inflation at Legal and General Investment Management. Uh, to find out what a triple rate cut historically means for stocks, go to CNBC.com. We've crunched the numbers. You'll find that piece there. Uh, Karen mentioned the Chinese numbers this morning. Manufacturing activity has contracted for the sixth straight month. Official PMI data coming in at 49.3 in October, worse than forecast and below September's 49.8 reading. A reminder below 50 is contraction. The survey also showed weakness in the normally resilient services sector. China recorded its lowest economic growth in 30 years in the third quarter. The president of Chile has cancelled next month's crucial apex summit amid growing anti-government protests. The move throws doubt on the signing of the US-China phase one trade deal, which was expected to be formalised when the US and Chinese presidents meet or were scheduled to meet on the summit sidelines. Well, I guess they could meet somewhere else.
1: Well, and the deal's going to be ready earlier than anticipated, so no issue, right?
0: Tongue in cheek, firmly, Karen, I think there.
1: (laughs) Coming up on the show, find out what helped Apple offset flagging iPhone sales and forecast a happy holiday season.
2: Plus, Facebook beats the street in the third quarter, but Twitter overshadows the solid set of numbers. We discuss why after the break.
0: A CNBC signature event.
2: All right, well, welcome back to Squawk Box. Let's dig into some of the earnings that have come through this morning, starting with Carlsberg. Carlsberg has come out with organic revenue growth of 3.1% for the quarter. They said in terms of the regional performance, they saw solid earnings performance in China and Western Europe, which more than offset challenges in Russia. And uh, in terms of that top-line growth in Western Europe, it was solid in spite of challenging comparables from the very warm and dry summer last year, while uh, they did face difficult comparables in Russia. Uh, So the number number to be looking at here is a 3.1%. That's the organic revenue growth for Carlsberg. Of course, Carlsberg very reliant on Western European markets relative to its competitors. So uh, good to see that they've seen solid earnings performance in that region. Just pouring
1: through Zalando, a bit of a disappointing uh, number from this company about a year ago which saw the share price tank. And don't forget, this is a market darling in the e-commerce online fashion space. And you've seen a little bit of recovery since that disappointment uh, back around September last year. The numbers now, the company's talking about uh, an outstanding growth story today. One billion site visits in the third quarter. Obviously, it's still a key metric for some of these online fashion retailers. Uh, The sales growth picked up in the third quarter, it saw those very strong visits to its site, uh, typically also points to key markets and not the ones you would think. It talks about Spain, the Nordics and Czech Republic. The company's adjusted earnings for interest and tax uh, was also better than expected, rising to 6.3 million euros. Expectations uh, were that uh, that number would be minus 11 million, so truly a beat on that number. Also when it comes to uh, the uh, overall loss, 38.9 million from a year ago, that was where it was. So you can see the improvement uh, from that result. And uh, sales jumping 26.7% to 1.52 billion euros. That is just a fraction above what was expected by the analysts.
0: Let's talk about Apple. While we're in the earnings space, Apple shares uh, rose slightly in after hours trade after the tech and retail giant beat fourth quarter revenue and earnings estimates. Uh, The numbers were boosted by a strong performance in both its services and wearables division. The latter, which comprises watches and headphones, saw 54 percent revenue growth. The iPhone maker also issued a bullish outlook for the holiday season. Meanwhile, shares in Facebook jumped over 4% in extended trade after posting a beat on both the top and the bottom lines alongside better than expected daily active user numbers. I'll just mention Paddy Flood has joined us from Schroeder's. This is very much in his wheelhouse. Paddy, welcome to the program. Nice to see you this morning. Elizabeth, our tech correspondent, is just gonna bring us up to date on the important aspects of both of these stories.
4: So looking at the Facebook numbers specifically, this was a pretty strong beat on fundamentals of this company. Now, we talked a lot about how expenses, particularly from ongoing regulation, might weigh on the outlook. And what it looks like so far is everything is in line. We saw not only a beat on uh, revenues. Revenues are up 29% year-on-year. Profits also beat EPS at $2.12 And a big part that we saw is this average revenue per user number, which is an essential metric to look at when we're looking at Facebook. That came in at $7.26, and that was well above the estimate. So what that's showing is that Facebook is making more money now per user, and that's a strong uh, measure when we're talking about monetization in general. Finally, I just want to talk about how the user numbers in general are continuing to increase despite some of the backlash that we've seen. So we saw daily active users of $1.62 billion, also above the estimate. In total now, 2.8 billion people use Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, or Messenger every single month. So we're talking about an increasingly big user base, even when we're in the billions of numbers. this uh, these figures kind of help explain why we're seeing that 5% move higher in Facebook shares. I, I know
1: there was a positive reaction in when it comes to Apple, right? I mean you saw this focus on wearables. It's right through all the commentary. Wearables, wearables, it's on the move, it's it's growing, it's fantastic. But if you look at the numbers on the iPhone sales, still a huge gap in revenue produced from wearables versus from iPhones, what 33.36 billion from iPhones versus 6.5 thereabouts from wearables.
4: Absolutely. How do, so, can
1: they close the gap? And we've both seen the Internet of Things revenue expectations. Can they close?
4: Absolutely. The gap? And one of the one of the um, interesting takeaways from this is that they're looking to maybe make that iPhone segment into more of a subscription service. So we've already seen how it, more people are leasing phones, for example. That's something that's worked particularly well in markets where people don't want to pay that thousand dollars up front. So if they can Expand that services segment, which, as you mentioned, currently 12.5 billion dollars. It's about one fifth of revenue overall. That does not compare to iPhone, which is still close to half of revenue. If they can merge those almost into one service, that's sort of this idea of how they're going to continue to make this a subscription company, and we're seeing that um, across the board. And we saw that when we saw, if you get a new watch, you'll get it, the Apple's streaming service. They're kind of really there's an effort to really bundle these together in order to keep people around and keep them in that system. Paddy, what do you
0: think? Um, Obviously, we've got a a, a leap in um, how the markets um, analyze both Facebook, actually, and Apple at this point. Any concerns from you?
5: Well, I think the, as you said, the wearables growth is pretty impressive, 54%, Um, services again in the teens, which is very impressive, and that's quite a big bit of the business now. but we have to remember that the iPhone business is still down 9% year-on-year. Year. And although that's a marked improvement from what we saw at the start of the year, it's, it's still pretty weak. Um, we've had a good reception to the new launch going into next year with the 11. Um, and there's rumors of a new launch of an SE model going into next year. Both of those things could help the unit side of things. Um, but if we look at the pricing dynamic, it's a bit less positive. So they've cut iPhone pricing by $50 on the low entry range, I, i.e. the iPhone 11. And there's rumors that this SE model could be, could be considerably cheaper than the current range. Um, both those factors make ASPs going into next year a potential risk, I'd say.
4: One of the interesting points was that we, there was a less worry about China than we've talked about. And that's certainly been something that's weighing on the outlook for this company, not just from a demand side, but because of the tariffs. How do you view the kind of China picture for Apple, given that that's such an important piece of the picture?
5: Yeah, well it's it's been very impressive what they've done to kind of stabilize the Chinese market. So after last year, where we had the warning, um, driven by slower Chinese growth, higher pricing, etc., they've done a very good job about stabilizing it. And that's been partly external factors like VAT cuts, um, but also okay. their own actions. So pushing the trade-in programme, financing programs, a bit of a price adjustment, all those things have been very positive. Going forward, we're still looking at a minus 2% number in China. Um, and it will continue to be tough. There are local players who are gaining share, who have cheaper offerings, and have moved further in 5G. So it's going to be a tough market, but they're doing the right things.
2: Some investors, I understand, want Apple to start selling their iPhones on a subscription basis. And this came up in the conference call yesterday. And it sounds like Cook it hasn't really ruled that out. As an investor looking at Apple, is this a path that you'd want to see Apple pursue?
5: So I would say that Apple already do that to an extent with their financing programs. They do have a number of users who are on a subscription basis. But yes, anything they can do to push that further and make the business more recurring in nature would be a good, a good development. Um, at the moment, it's done through their retail stores, which are about 10% of sales. So expanding that further could be a, could be a significant positive as it would help to shorten replacement cycles, make people stickier on the platform, et cetera.
1: How do you say there? We're just uh, going to flesh out the Facebook story and also what's happening A rival Twitter, which has announced it will ban all political advertising on its platform from next month. In a statement, Twitter boss Jack Dorsey said he believed that, quote, political reach should be earned, not bought. Twitter's share price fell almost 2% in extended trading, although analysts don't expect the ban to have a large bearing on revenues. Twitter's move has raised the pressure on Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg to come good on his pledge to tackle online misinformation. But in his earnings call with analysts, Zuckerberg defended Facebook's right to show political ads, calling it a matter of free speech.
5: We estimate that these ads from politicians will be less than 0.5% of our revenue next year. So that's not why we're doing this. To put this in perspective, the FTC fine that these same critics said wouldn't be enough to change our incentives was more than 10x bigger than this. So the reality is is that we believe deeply uh, that political speech is important and that's what's driving us.
1: Patty, what we're hearing there is potentially the risk of more fines if Facebook gets this wrong on political advertising. What we've seen so far is that you can spread falsehoods through these ads on Facebook. They're not going to tackle what is uh, pushed through on their platform. Is that a problem when we've seen all the risk issues that have cropped up around privacy at Facebook?
5: Yeah, it's definitely an issue. Um, And uh, going into next year, I think this is going to only increase in intensity in terms of of media scrutiny. so yes, it's something I'd be concerned about as an investor. The underlying dynamics of growth look okay, but it's something definitely to monitor. Do
1: you want to jump on this? Because you know, we've just seen the comment, 0.5% of revenues is how much this uh, type of advertising will bring in, but we both know the cost side of monitoring some of the content. That's been a problem for Facebook. Is that why they don't want to do it?
4: Absolutely. And I I think you can't underestimate how much this is sort of a microcosm of the bigger picture at play here with Facebook. It's trying to figure out what its role is, not just on the political side, but in general, when it comes to monitoring content on the platform. And if it starts to take one step to say, we're going to not allow any of this, we will block this on all fronts. Think about what that means for extremist speech, for hate speech. There's wide-ranging implications that extend into parts of the business that could have a bigger slice of revenues than just the political ads.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.